priceless gifts of heaven, God to us has freely given. Oh, the wealth of earth were profit, none could buy the gifts here often. Christ's true body for you riven, and his blood for you once given. Now in faith I humbly ponder over this surpassing wonder that the of life is boundless, though the souls it feeds are countless. With the choicest wine of heaven, the blood to us is given, almost glorious consolation. The text for the sermon this day is taken from that gospel lesson which was read to you earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. To start, I'm going to read this quote from Martin Luther in, from Luther's small catechism, specifically from the preface. The preface to the small catechism is something that for whatever reason is not read very often. And actually, I know part of the reason is because if you pick up your average small catechism published by uh, Concordia Publishing House, so whether it's the, the more recent Burgundy one or the older... Did you get... Who had the blue one? Okay, I'm guessing most of you had that old blue one. Or there's even a green one. Did anybody use the green one? Okay, anyways... If you were to go into that hymno, that catechism and were to try to find the preface, by the way, the word preface suggests, where should it be? At the beginning. But not in our, any of our publications. It all is in the back. Part of, I wonder if it's because they're scared what would happen if people read it. Because it is a very, very harsh law that Luther is laying down about how Christians are to be. And it might scare people to hear it. But if you were to actually get Luther's original small catechism, it is right at the beginning. So that before you could even get to the first commandment, you're supposed to have read it. It says, Finally, because the tyranny of the Pope has been abolished, people no longer want to receive the sacrament. And they treat it with contempt. This too needs to be stressed while keeping in mind that we should not compel anyone to believe or to receive the sacrament and should not fix any law or time or place for it. Instead, we should preach in such a way that the people make themselves come without our law and just plain compel us pastors to administer the sacrament to them. This can be done by telling them, you have to worry that whoever does not desire 
or receive the sacrament at the very least around four times a year, despises the sacrament and is no Christian. Just as anyone who does not listen to or believe the gospel is no Christian. For Christ did not say, omit this or despise this, but instead, do this as often as you drink it. He really wants it to be done and not completely omitted or despised. Do this, he says. That's Luther's preface. Very, very hard law in there. It's kind of, it sounds kind of a strange statement to us. Saying that those who do not receive the supper at least four times a year despise the sacrament and is no Christian. A history I know of our congregation people have told me of is that there used to be a time that it was only offered four times a year because of this quote. Now, actually, originally the real reason was, I don't know, if you, do you know where the very first pastor Zion lived? He lived in Hull. So that's before automobiles. So the reason there was only communion for four times a year, because he didn't always come here. He didn't, he didn't actually serve every single Sunday because he was a rotating pastor. He'd serve at different churches at different Sundays. And the reason it was only four times a year was for practical reasons. It was hard to do it more than that. That's why he did four, was because he wanted to at least match what Luther recommended. As soon as we started having weekly pastors, that should have been done away with. Because what if somebody just happens to be sick on the day of that fourth Sunday, one of those Sundays happen, and they miss one of them? But again, this text, this words of Luther seems weird. Because Luther, more than anyone, said that salvation is by grace through faith. That is not of your works. It seems like Luther is contradicting his own theology. I mean, in this very same catechism, we read that it is not by our own reason or strength that we, are, we come to know Jesus as Lord. That we are purchased and won, not with silver or gold, but with the holy, innocent suffering and death of Jesus. Is Luther contradicting himself? And the parable that you heard earlier that gives you a very good answer to that. That he isn't contradicting. So in this parable, there is this king who's throwing a grand banquet, a wedding feast to be specific, for his son. Now if anybody's done a wedding, you know weddings tend to be big and you tend to have a lot of food. In the time of Jesus, wedding banquets were even bigger than they are now. It was a huge deal. If you ever hear people say, people have gone, gotten carried away these days with their wedding feasts. I'm like, you don't know what it, like, it used to be like. There's other ways that people do get carried away, and I agree. But the huge meals, that's not new. Otherwise, Jesus couldn't use this parable. Nobody would make sense of it. But when it's hit thrown, not by anyone, this is by the king. That means this is the feast to end all feasts. This would be kind of given perspective. Imagine one day you open up the mailbox and you get a letter. And in the letter it says on the, 
little, you know, the, right there it says White House. And you open it up and the letter says, you were invited to the White House Correspondence Dinners. Which in case you do not know, that is pretty much the biggest meal in the country every year. Ignore the fact whether you would like President Obama or not. That is like the best meal you'll ever have and it's probably the best entertainment we would ever have. It would be an incredible, it's an incredible honor to be invited. Because only people that get invited are celebrities and politicians. To get that invite is an honor. Same thing as when to be invited to a king, the, the wedding feast of the son of the king was a great honor. And yet, in this parable, when Jesus tells parables, there's often kind of a surprise moment. And the first surprise moment is that people turn it down. They, decide, they say they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. They came up with excuses as to why they could not come. Why they could not participate in this grand feast. In the time of Jesus, to give an excuse to not come to the king's, to a wedding feast hosted by a king was unthinkable. And actually, if you had done that in Jesus' time, you'd have actually been put to death for despising the king. That's why Jesus is telling this parable how horrible of an offense it is. Then at the second half, there's this other man. So Jesus, seeing that these people turned it down, he says, or the king sees that these people turned it down, he says the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not ready, worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite, the wedding, invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. So in modern day, this would be kind of like going to, saying, go, to the, go underneath the bridges. Go to the homeless shelters. Go to the people sleeping on a park bench. Go to those people and invite them. And so you could imagine such a person, the way they're clothed. They, they, there's probably a, a smell to them. And they carry that smell for so long that they become nose blind to it. So they're brought to the king. Now in Jesus' time, again, when you have a wedding, the king, the host of the wedding, in this case the king, would provide a garment for all those invited. So this man, so imagine a man or woman who's completely poor. Their clothes smells like their own urine. They're dirty from head to toe. When the king brings them in, he washes them up cleans them. Their hair actually begins to look like the color it was supposed to be. The clothes that they're, the clothes that they're wearing, they're taken away and the king actually puts it on for, in the meantime so that this person could now wear the king's, the clothing of royalty. This person who's extreme poverty receives clothing fit for a king. And yet in the second half, you have people, one of them, who doesn't wear it. To which the king says, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness 
And the place that in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If anybody ever says that Jesus always spoke nice, that he never had harsh words, point him to a parable like this. Jesus is condemning the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. And it's a warning still to us. Because we too have received the garment of a king. We received it in baptism. When you are baptized, the garment that is your righteousness, which smells of our own waste, of our own sinfulness, in baptism, Jesus puts it on for himself. And he gives you his garment. The clothing fit for a king. You are made a prince, an heir of the heavenly kingdom. And yet, there are people who as soon as they're baptized, they walk away. Raise your hand if you know somebody that's been baptized and you never saw them in church again until they're ready for confirmation or worse, never again. Anybody know somebody like that? That's the type of people Jesus is speaking to. They have, the garment has been given to them. And they decided, I don't need it. My garment's just fine. I don't need yours. To which the king will say, depart, throw him out. The Lord's Supper. How many people know somebody that got confirmed to never come back and never came back? Same thing. They have been given the Lord's Supper. And they once upon receiving it for the first time, never receive it again. Do you realize the cost of the Lord's Supper? Do you know the cost of your baptism? Do you know the cost it is for us to hear God's word? Remember in the old liturgy, in the old, you know, the red hymnal, whenever we'd have the non-communion service, in the prayers we would, got, we would say that we would read, mark, and inwardly digest God's word. So even on a Sunday, when we don't have the Lord's Supper, there is still a banquet. There is still a feast. It is God's word that we feast on. Jesus, when he was in the wilderness, when he was tempted by the devil, he said that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The book of Revelation, John is told, is given a scroll. And he's told to eat it. To actually literally eat the words of God. The book of Isaiah speaks the same language. There is speech in scripture of us eating God's word. That it is a feast. And the cost for us to hear it. The cost of our baptism. The cost of the Lord's Supper. And I'm not asking how much it costs for plumbing. I'm not asking how much it costs to go to purchase the bread or the wine through Concordia Publishing House or wherever. The cost for it to be what it is, 
was nails into the hands and the feet of the only sinless person in the history of the world. The cost of it was the holy of holies, God himself dying. That is what it cost. It cost him to be tortured, abused, beaten, to suffer every kind of abuse known to man, physical, mental, even sexual. Because I don't know if you realize this, even though on our crucifixes typically Jesus is showing wearing the garment, and the reason we do that is just because we're, it's basically it's out of modesty, but in reality, not even that was on him. Because the Romans wanted to embarrass people as much as possible. That's what Jesus endured so that you could have the Lord's Supper, so that you could have baptism, so that you could hear his word. When we say that we don't have time for it, when we say that I have other business, a note, this is not talking about people who are in extreme situations. We're not talking about people who might be in the middle of war in Iraq. We're not talking about people who are physically unable. Because notice when Luther talked in that quote, he said, those who do not at least desire it. And by the way, our shut-ins get at least four times a year. They get more than that. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people who physically are able to and don't. In the book of James, it says, you believe that there is a God. Good. So do the demons, and they shudder. That's why James again says, faith without works is dead. Because when someone does not attend the divine service, refuses to hear God's word, refuses to receive the Lord's Supper, the reason that condemned, the reason they are condemned is because their faith is dead. Because if you love Jesus and his, and his blood-bought word and forgiveness is given to you, why would you neglect it? Except for if you hate God. And that's what it is. It is a lack of faith. You are saved by grace through faith. But if a person, see, if you are not saved because you went to church. Rather, if you are saved, you're going to be in church. Why? Because you can't help but come. You're compelled to go. As Luther said in there, he told them, you don't have to force people to go. Because if they have faith, they're going to want it. And if the pastor's not coming, they're going to be like, hey, pastor, where are you? Or why aren't you giving communion? They'll be begging to receive it. A person who does not have faith doesn't care if they're not receiving it. And we know way, way too many people that fall on this list. There are a good number of people on our membership rosters that have never been here since I've been here. That is, and what do we do? 
We make calls, we try to visit. But do you notice what the king says in the parable to those people? He says, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. He is saying that there are those who will be invited, who have been invited. But there's a certain point that you dust off your feet and you move on. You hope that God will bring someone else there and maybe God's got something you don't know, but there's a point you dust off your feet and you go on. And you go to the people who are on the highways who have never heard the invitation, who do not know that it is there. This is why we compel people to go to the, why not compel, we encourage, we teach receiving the Lord's Supper. This is the reason why when it comes to our confirmation, I require church attendance. And I've had parents fight with me on this. Because if you're going to go up there in front of the congregation and say that you believe Jesus to the point of death, how can you believe that when you can't even miss a little hour of sleep to come and receive his word? We come up with so many excuses. And there are very few of them that work. There are some jobs, if you're an EMT or a nurse or a doctor and you need to do that, or you're a police officer, those are good reasons to, to miss. But even there, you can find they're gonna, they're, most of those jobs allow you to have a day every now and then to go. Or there's, always a, there's usually a chaplain. And it's not talking about whether you come to this church, any church, where you receive God's word in his supper. Because you have. And I know I'm speaking to the choir for some of you. Some of, many of you are like, we don't miss. What are you talking about? But here's the thing. This is what you need to deliver to others. That they have, that God purchased the supper that they partake of. He purchased the word that they hear. He purchased them. Not with silver and gold, because as we heard in that hymn, no amount of money. If you took all the money in the world, all the possessions in the world, and used it to purchase your redemption, it wouldn't work. It's not enough. The only thing that was enough for you to be forgiven was the blood of the Son of God. And that's what you're given in the Lord's Supper, as a gift Receive it gladly. Invite people. I know we don't always want to come. Believe it or not, as a pastor, I don't always want to come to church. There are some Sunday mornings when that alarm goes off and I'm just thinking, is there any way I could have someone else do this? And I realize, no, it doesn't work. We, we, we be, and by the way, if any pastor says they always want to come in, they're lying. They're not being honest with themselves. But we come and even in those moments, we're still being fed. In this world where things are so chaotic, where so many people suffer and die. On Tuesday, for instance, three people I'm connected with died. One was LaVon Dirks. Another was a relative of, was a grandparent to somebody he went to high school with. 
And the third was one of my own cousins who committed suicide. He shot himself. In a world where that stuff is going on, where there are hurricanes, where just this weekend both presidential candidates are caught in a scandal. We live in that world. That's why we come here. This is a refuge. This is a place God has given you to step away, to recharge. And I know sometimes I don't always feel it. How many of you feel your breakfast that you ate, if you ate breakfast this morning? Did any, do, any of you, do all of you feel it? I ate some Pop-Tarts. I don't feel it. And a lot of times if you're feeling your breakfast, it's not the feeling you want. Just because you don't feel something doesn't mean it didn't nourish you. God's word always works whether you know it or not. Receive it. It's beautiful. It's an incredible, precious gift. And call others to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keeping the one true faith and the life everlasting. Amen. At this time, instead of singing Create in Me a Clean Heart, we are going to sing the last half of uh, 636.